0: the person of Jesus Christ to be? That's a tough question.
1: He's the main guy for Christianity, I guess.
0: He's cool. Jesus Christ. Who is he to you? He's just Jesus, man. I don't know. He's just, this is a cool guy, man. He's awesome. A carpenter from 2,000 years ago. A Jew, definitely, and yeah, he was a reformer, but I don't believe him to be the Messiah at all. Who do you believe Jesus Christ to be?
1: Ooh, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, I believe he existed, um, but I believe that he might have been like a rock star, like you know, pretty cool, like maybe he, people thought he was super cool, but I don't believe in him as like a religious force.
0: He's a person in history. That's all. It's a comfy story that probably makes people feel secure. Is he anything to you at all, or
1: what's your thoughts
0: on I mean, he's a religious figure, he uh, had, I mean, he obviously had a good message to send. I don't know if he's not my savior, but he was a good guy, for sure. I think Jesus Christ was a magician. I mean, he studied studied in in the Far East, kind of like David Blaine, but like he had way cooler tricks. He's a dead man um, who uh, had an enormous impact on the world, Uh, said a lot of wise things, um, and uh, was the man of his time.
1: A person, a historical figure, that's it.
0: To me, he's a guy that I guess he, he started a, a thing with some people and, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it turned into something he didn't intend.
1: I actually don't know yet. Um, it's just something that I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I believe in and what, me, what it really means to me to even have a religion right now.
0: All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome in uh, again to our living room here, uh, your family here at Hope Des Moines, and we're glad that you are here. How's, how's the weather these days, folks? Come on. it's Wow. Is it April already? My word. Did anybody wear shorts today? Just You tried to do it? A few of you? Yeah, just because you could, right? You could say you wore shorts in in February? Absolutely. Well, we are glad that you're here. That that question that you heard in the video, the question that you heard uh, posed over and over again, that might be the most important question that you and I are ever asked in our life. Maybe nobody's ever asked you that directly. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and if somebody asked you that, who is Jesus, what would you say? Would you have to think about it for a while, or what would that mean to you? Was he just a historical figure? Was he a rock star? Would I like the one guy who's like a magician, like David Blaine? Like, yeah, kind of was a magician in a way. Uh, for better or for worse, right or wrong, our current view of Jesus has been shaped by our story. It's been shaped by uh, how we grew up and, and our parents' influence on our lives or not, and what kind of church we grew up in, and kind of the culture around us the problem often comes when we start to read the bible and we start to get into these stories which we're doing during this season of lent as we're kind of walking through some of these stories of Jesus' life as he moves towards the, his final days and the cross we start to see a Jesus that doesn't exactly line up with a lot of our assumptions about who we think he is and what gives what gives when that assumptions that we have about Jesus doesn't line up with who he is in scripture we, are, are we willing to be changed? Are we willing to, to have our views challenged a little bit and maybe our worldview shifted a little bit? That's really the heart behind this new series that we started last week and we're going to be continuing during the season of Lent. It's called, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Because some of you, as you look throughout Scripture, you're like, man, that part of Jesus and his teaching really challenges me. That doesn't fit inside my box. Some of you have met Jesus and discovered him and put your faith in him for the first time here at Hope. And that's been your experience and you're just starting to get to know him. Others of you have been following Jesus for much of your adult life and even before that. And it's easy to just read these stories and to think, yeah, and just assume, I, yeah, I know, I know what Jesus is like. I, I know who he is. And sometimes we need to look again. Sometimes we need to take a second Look. To kind of help illustrate that point a little bit, I found some pictures online. These are kind of like mind tricks or optical illusions uh, sort of thing. So I'm going to throw a few things up and just ask you a few questions. So go ahead and throw that first one up there. What do you see? A vase? Two faces. Which one did you see first? Right? Maybe worth a second look. Some of you, oh, okay, that one was pretty easy. How about this one? Try this one. Do you see a man or a woman? Or do you see an old woman or a young woman? I guess I should say. <laughs> Worth the second look, right? What, huh? Do you see them both? You can't see it the first time, can you? You got to take a second look. Okay, how about this one? Go ahead, go to the next one. Duck or a rabbit? You saw something the first time you looked at it, and you had to look back again, right? You seen that one before? I think we got one more up there. Which way is the guy facing? What? Oh, man, now we're playing tricks on your mind, right? Duh, some of you just stare at your computer screen for hours. Which way is he facing, right? Isn't that crazy? Here's the thing, though. With pictures like this, sometimes in order to get the full picture, you got to take a second look. The first time you looked at it, you would have said duck. I'm like, wait a minute, rabbit, right? Sideways, no, forward. It's worth a second look, and maybe the same is true of the Jesus that we encounter in the Gospels. We can't see the whole picture at first glance. So we've proved that point, but maybe there's more than we thought. And unless you're perfectly content tonight with your current view of Jesus and all you want to know about him, maybe, just maybe, Jesus is also worth a second look as well. And to do that, I feel like I have this, this massive, seemingly impossible task. I was thinking about this message, like, what am I, what's my point? What am I really trying to get across? And I guess it came down to this. I want to describe Jesus to you. And I was like, oh, huh, yeah, good luck in a half an hour. That'll be really easy, right? But I feel like that's my role tonight is, is in this passage that we have and throughout the Gospels. I want to describe to you the best I can at least a few characteristics of Jesus that's totally worth it. When you think about who Jesus is and then that picture you get in your mind, if you just think about that right now, when I say Jesus, what sort of things come to mind? What characteristics come to mind? I remember for myself, when I was growing up and when I first, kind of later in high school, I got really serious about my faith, I was all fired up about it, but I had this really skewed view of who Jesus was. And then there was a few years there in college where it it was like, yeah, okay, I believe, but it wasn't very real and like my prayer life was dry and worship was just kind of dull and boring and it wasn't connecting and I still felt all this guilt and all this shame. This was like after becoming a Christian, like what's going on with that? And I'm looking back on that now realizing so much of that was because I had this inaccurate skewed view of who Jesus was. And some of you are operating and have been operating as a Christian for years thinking that Jesus is angry at you thinking that he's inaccessible, thinking that he has, has not, can't relate to you at all. Or you just want him to be your buddy. And what we're going to discover tonight is that he's really none of those things. And he's going to push us around and poke us and prod us and challenge us a little bit. Some of you may have maybe been following Jesus for a while, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Christianity is not all based on feelings, but sometimes the feelings come and go, don't they? You ever, you ever just kind of gotten lulled into being a full-time church member but a part-time disciple? You ever just been sitting in worship sometime? Maybe it was tonight or a couple weeks ago and you just are singing the songs. You ever just catch yourself going, what am I doing? Am I just, am I just saying the words because I'm here and I'm in church and that's what we should do and that's what everybody else is saying? But I have no clue what I'm saying. I have no clue what I really believe. Or ever, ever been praying and you just start praying things, and you're like, I don't really know if that means anything because I just, I'm just saying what I heard somebody else say. I, I, I heard Pastor John pray like that once, so I thought that would be pretty good. Maybe God would hear me then. And you need like, you know, a little wake-up call, and you just say to yourself, wake up, like, what am I doing? Is this real? Because he wants it to be real for you. Sometimes we need a wake-up call, and my hope is that tonight can maybe be that wake-up call. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, and what I want to do is, among many characteristics, I want to just unpack three characteristics of Jesus that we maybe often forget that can help form our view, a right view, a biblical view of him in the Gospels. So I want to boil it down to three, and the first one is here in Colossians 1. There's thousands of things we can talk about, but we have time for three today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. So often, I don't I don't know, depending on your view of Jesus, we kind of have this view of him that he's maybe small or soft or cuddly or just kind of like, hey pal, hey buddy. And then we get to Colossians, chapter one, verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isn't that amazing? I love, I love how Paul writes this. So Paul's trying to describe who Jesus really is, and he's trying to communicate to us that Jesus is this Jesus The the second person of the Trinity, God Jesus the Son, is completely powerful, that he is completely glorious, that he is this incomprehensible being that was a part of creation. He was there at creation, and he created the universe, and he created you. And if I'm honest, and I'm thinking, i got to describe Jesus to you, he is indescribable. And that's a good thing, because if I could describe him to you, he wouldn't be God. And I don't want to worship a God that I can fully comprehend. That's bigger than my finite mind. So this is so important because when I say Jesus, for a lot of you, depending, if you grew up in the church, uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. This is the image of Jesus uh, that came to mind, right? That was on the wall in the Sunday school wing of your church, right? Jesus is Norwegian. Of course he is. We're from Iowa, right? That Jesus doesn't line up with the Jesus that we just read about in Colossians, I'm sorry to break it to you, but Jesus did not have blonde hair and blue eyes, although we want him to, because we want him to be like us sometimes, those of you that, that have that characteristic. That's not. For better or for worse, what we saw growing up is, or maybe it's Jesus kind of the boring guy, or the, the soft Jesus with the sheep, or or how about this one? Go ahead and go to the next one. This is what I call homeboy Jesus, right? <laughs> like he just wants to be your buddy, right? And and we kind of twist it around to think, you know, Jesus is just like my my friend. He's my pal, and if I just want to go off and do my own thing, that's fine, because he's down with it. He's totally fine with that, and I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, and Jesus, you're fine. Like, you'll forgive me. Just bless it. Jesus isn't in the the blessing your agenda business. He wants you to get on his agenda. And that's the, the problem. It seems so innocent in these pictures, but they're so off, Show that a little bit further. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. We're just doing a little Bible study here tonight. So, you have your Bibles. Revelation is in the end, believe it or not. The back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. So, John is writing this. John was one of the disciples that walked with Jesus. The apostle John walked with Jesus. And years later, John gets to see Jesus, albeit in a vision, in a dream. Not as he was on earth, but kind of in this glorified, completely other, completely holy state. So he is talking about Jesus here. So, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, I'm going to read this for you. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Just picture this in your mind. The hair on his head was like white wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet, although dead." And you're telling me I'm supposed to tell John that Jesus is your homeboy. We're missing something here. We're missing a part of Jesus that we often forget. John says, in the very presence of Jesus, when I saw him, the only thing I could think to do was fall to my knees. He fainted. He collapsed. When you're in the presence of greatness. Greatness. So many of, I've heard people say, man, if you know, if Jesus walked in here tonight, I would, just, I would just run up and hug him and he'd wrap me up in his arms. And maybe, or you would faint. Or you would fall to your knees because of his holiness. Because of his greatness. Instead, the first thing you got to know about Jesus is that he is completely holy. He is completely holy holy. And by that I mean, holy means set apart, completely other, worthy of our worship. Why? Because not only did he create every, do you know how big a star is? And this is telling us that he's just holding them in his hand, like, oh, there's Jupiter, there's Pluto, right? Whatever it is. This is Jesus, this is fully God we're talking about. This is how big he is because not only did he create everything, but he gave you the very breath that is in your lungs tonight. So you can argue and you can debate whether the church is good or religion is good. You can't argue with the fact that you're alive and breathing tonight and that somebody is responsible for that. Somebody created you. Somebody knows you better than you know yourself. And we would have no hope for eternity if it wasn't for him because he took our sin and our death to the cross. That's why... He's holy. That's why he's worthy of our worship. In fact, if that wasn't enough, a few chapters later in the book of Revelation, we read verse eleven. Then I looked. It's the same John talking. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. So if those of you that are math people can do the math here: numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. I think that's hundred million, but you can check me on that. That's a lot. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, and let's read this together, we're not a hundred million angels, but it's Saturday night, so you're awake, okay? Let's read this together nice and loud. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So just think about this for a second. John says he heard a hundred million angels worshiping Jesus. And they can't, they have to cover their eyes with their wings because they can't bear the sight of how great and how amazing and how holy he is of what it means to be in his presence. The Jesus that is holding the universe in his hands who kicks Satan to the curb, who a hundred million angels can't bear to look at. And we say, you know, I'm not so sure I want to raise my hands in worship because people might think I'm getting into it a little bit too much. Do do I really need to go to worship every week? Man, Bible study has just been really dry and boring recently. Maybe Jesus is worth a second Look. It's really easy to get plateaued in our faith and to forget who it is that we're singing about, that when you step in here every week, you are stepping into the presence of a holy God. Jesus is fully human, yes, but fully God. God. Maybe it's time for a second look. And see, here's the thing. The danger is if we're not careful, we can start to treat Jesus like our homeboy, like our buddy, somebody that we can just push around and do our own thing and say it probably doesn't matter. And you know, it's just Jesus. He's my friend. He just wants me to be happy. Doesn't he want us all to be happy? You know, way more than Jesus wants you to be happy, he wants you to be undone by him. That when you're with him, that when you're in his presence, there is nowhere else you would rather be, and yet you are completely overwhelmed by his greatness. That you would be in awe of him. And I'm here to tell you that is way better than being happy. That was never the promise. When you pray, do you ever just fall to your knees? Have you ever had an experience with God that drove you to your knees, I'd spend some time in the book of Revelation, spend some time in the book of John, and get to know this Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is completely holy. And yet, on the flip side of that, the flip side of that coin, I was talking with somebody a couple weeks ago, and we were just talking about Jesus and their experience of him, and they said, oh, you know, you can't really know Jesus like he was in the Bible, like he was in the Gospels. I mean, he is just so, like, He's God, you know, so you can't really get to know him. And so often, you know, John, you use these illustrations of like, well, it's just like getting to know a friend or somebody that can just walk right beside you. Like, no, Jesus is holy, right? We just talked about that. So there's no way that you can relate to him. There's no way, right? He's altogether different from us. And yet, when we dig into the Gospels, the same apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote John. And he writes in 1 John, verse 1, I love this. It's a little different. This is the message version. John is speaking to the disciples that knew Jesus firsthand, and he says this. The word of life appeared right before our eyes, and we saw it happen. What we we, we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God took shape before us, and we saw it, and we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience him along with us. The Gospels were not written as a boring textbook to tell you all the things that you're doing wrong and that you need to be a better Christian. The Gospels were written so that you could experience the same Jesus that the disciples did and be utterly captivated by him, that you could know him intimately. And knowing that Jesus that we just described that is beyond comprehension makes Jesus walking this earth even more mind-boggling. Yes, Jesus is fully God, but you can also know Jesus intimately. John says that's why Jesus came, so that you could know what God is like. So you wouldn't have to wonder what it means to be in a relationship with God so you could see him and touch him and hear him. He's completely holy, but the second thing I want you to know, he's also completely accessible. He's completely accessible. So I was thinking about the balance of this. is How can God, how can Jesus be completely... Like, we need to be in awe of him and have this holy fear of him, and yet at the same time, he can just be, like, intimate and with us and approachable and accessible. How does that work? I was thinking about my relationship with my kids, and particularly Caleb, who's almost three now, and he's kind of learning to understand his role in the family and who he is in relationship to us and his his kind of place in the world. And as most two- and three-year-olds need to learn, that the world does not revolve around them. I know, it's shocking, right? So I was thinking, I want him to have a healthy view of the authority structure that God has put in, in place. Like we are his parents and he is our child. So the other day he was throwing a fit and he was screaming because he was, we were eating dinner and he was crawling on the dining room table with a tambourine and he wanted to use his baby sister Evie as the drum to hit with the tambourine. And we wouldn't let him do that, and so just blah, explosion, freak out, meltdown. And we're having this talk. He doesn't want to stay in timeout. He's crawling away. He doesn't want to stay in timeout. He's crawling away. All this stuff. He's got to go poopy in the middle of it. We come back. Timeout, poopy break. Come back. Discipline again. And here we go, and here we are now, okay? And in this moment, I say, Caleb, you can't do that. You just can't do that. And he looks at me and says, why? And every ounce of me wants to say, because I'm your dad, and that should be enough. Not in a domineering sort of way, but like, Caleb, I'm your dad. I love you. God's put me in this place not to just be this authority structure over you, but to love you. And we are hard on him, and we discipline him. Why? Because discipline equals love. If we didn't love him, we would let him do whatever he wants. And at the same time, I am the same dad that he can run up under my lap and sometimes... 10, 15, half an hour, 30 minutes after the discipline, after he's bawling his eyes out, because I'm a terrible person, he'll say, Daddy, can we snuggle? And my hope is that the intimacy that we build when we're snuggling or we're wrestling or we're being, and I'm fully accessible as his dad fuels the holy respect and the awe that he has of me. That won't last forever. In a few years, he'll think I'm just dumb. But right now, he still thinks I'm pretty cool, and I'm going to soak that up. And I wonder if that's just a little glimpse of what our Heavenly Father wants, of our view of Jesus, that we're called to have this holy respect and fear of him, a good holy fear, and at the same time that he can be completely accessible. The same with Jesus. When Jesus called the original disciples to follow him, we understand that maybe these fishermen, they didn't know this at the time, but that God that we just described at the beginning of the message is inviting them into his inner circle. That God wants to hang out with you. That's the invitation of Christianity. And Jesus is saying, I want to laugh with you. I want to cry with you. I want to tell you some stories. And we're going to sit around the campfire. We're going to bond. Well, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to watch me cast out some demons. We're going to hang out with some kids. I'm going to forgive some people that you thought were unforgivable. I'm going to love some people that you thought couldn't be loved. And I bet at a certain point, maybe during that time, they thought, well, wait, wait. Jesus is God, and yet, man, I love being with this guy. Like, I'd be fine having him hang out with my kids, and yet we could go to the bar on Friday night, and it's the same guy. And and yet, in the midst of all of that, I want to fall to my knees and I want to worship him. Like, this is amazing. Who is this guy? He's God. This is the opportunity that they were being offered. So often, again, if we go back to the images and pictures we have of Jesus, it's that, if it wasn't the guy on the Sunday school wing that looked like he was so bored and had no fun, it was probably a Jesus up in a stained glass window. Did anybody grow up with that? And you you saw him in pictures, he's just stoic. No smile or anything. And if we start to just camp out on that image, we think there's no way that Jesus can relate to me. And yet, that couldn't be any farther from the truth i've got really good news he's walked in your shoes anybody feeling lonely felt it you ever just been completely exhausted jesus yep homeless hungry been there relationship struggles plenty. Ever said to someone about a struggle you have, oh, there's nobody that understands me. I just have such a unique story. Nobody could possibly understand, let alone forgive me and what I've done. There's nobody that understands me. Nobody's ever been more relatable. Nobody's ever been more accessible. And if there was any doubt, there's this beautiful story one day in Mark chapter 10, Jesus was teaching, and by this time the disciples are like, "Yeah, he's God, He's a pretty big deal, so we're kind of his groupies. And we get to hang around him, and we're a pretty big deal, because we're with him. We're with the band, right? They're, Jesus is a rock star by this time. And so these parents start having bringing their kids up to Jesus for him to bless them. He's like in the middle of an important sermon. I mean, he's Jesus, He's an important dude. And these kids are coming up, and and they're starting to crawl on them. And the last time I checked, kids' hands are always sticky. And sometimes they're loud, and sometimes they're annoying, and it's completely inconvenient to what you're doing, and they interrupt you, and they have no sense of personal space. And sometimes, sometimes they smell. And these are the kids that are climbing all over Jesus. And so what do you think the disciples do? No, 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 no. This is God we're talking about. He's the Son of God. He's preaching. He doesn't have time for kids. Come on, he's got more important. He's got people to save. Watch what Jesus does. I love this story. Let's read it together. What Jesus responds here in Mark chapter ten. Jesus says, "Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs as these." If there was any doubt that Jesus wants to be known by us, he says, "You know what? Why don't you just bring on the kiddos?" (laughs) Exactly as. They are, and so that's what we try to do here at Hope. That's why children's ministry, although it's rarely serious, is serious business. Because we take what we do with kids here at Hope very seriously. Whether it's babies or toddlers or uh, middle schoolers, junior high, high school, we take it very seriously, and that's the focus of our Lenten project. That's what the, the reason behind this Hope for the Children is, because there's a battle going on for kids in our city. I don't know if you know that. And for us to just sit passively back and say, well, you know what, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, we'll get them a little bit later. We can't, you know, we can't really teach kids things. I was talking to Mark Nelson, who's, who's the, the uh, director of Freedom for Youth, who we're helping out in this, and, and what we do with Wiz Kids on Thursday nights and how we partner our after-school program with them. And he's telling me the reason that Wiz Kids, that what we do here on Thursday nights is our most important thing, is there are kids in third, fourth, and fifth grade that are being recruited to go into gangs five blocks from here in Des Moines, Iowa. And we think, you know, if I show up, or I, I don't really need to volunteer or mentor. I'm, I'm sure there's other people that will help the kids. 90% of them have no father in the home. And you're telling me that they're just the future of the church. No, they're the church now. And there's maybe nothing more important that we could do both within our walls and the kids that are already here and the kids that may never come, both with Hope Kids and Whiz Kids. A lot of you don't know what's been going on here on Thursday nights. We started this ministry called Whiz Kids back in September and so a lot of you uh, may not know what we do, And so we had uh, our guy go around with the camera and just shoot a little bit of footage and put together a quick little video just to show you and just give you an example uh, of what happens here on Thursday nights as we reach out to many of these same kids that Mark was talking about. Let's take a look. So what the video only starts to do is to capture the impact that this is having not only on the kids, but those adults that are serving. And so I wanted to bring up one of our uh, awesome WizKids volunteers. This is Lynn. Everybody welcome Lynn up to the stage. She's going to share a little bit about uh, her story. And uh, Lynn's been around uh, our church for a long time, but WizKids kind of popped up. So uh, Lynn, you were, you were in some of the video shots there, so we know that you're there. Hey, look at that. There you are. Um, tell us a little bit about why we're talking about Jesus being this accessible guy and how important kids were to him. Tell us a little bit about why, when you heard about WizKids, you got involved. And I'm guessing, as with any of us, there are fears, there's reservations. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you got involved and maybe some of the fears you had to get over. Yeah, absolutely. To get
1: I actually had re, um, looked into helping at the Hickman site of Freedom for Youth twice mm-hmm. before um, Hope launched their WizKids program here last fall. And so it was definitely something I was on my, that was on my radar and I just could never seem to make it fit in my schedule. And so mm-hmm. when WizKids launched, I was like, okay, God, I'm on board, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And haven't looked back and it's been awesome.
0: Yeah, awesome. So uh, since starting, um, obviously, so much we think like we're serving them, we're giving to them. What's been maybe something that the kids have taught you? Or what's something that maybe God has been doing in you through the process of serving that he's taught you maybe about yourself or about him?
1: Well, I already knew this about myself, but I'm kind of a control freak. And with kids, is chaos. And so something that I constantly, I feel like I'm saying to the other volunteers is we just have to let it go. We have to let it go. God's telling mm. us to let it go because, you know, we're we're doing really fun stuff, but sometimes it just looks like it's absolute. Look, I mean, it just is out of control. Yeah. And so I think that is something where you just kind of have to meet the kids where you, where they're at. And having gone up to the Oak Ridge neighborhood to do some of the recruitment before the program even started, you see these kids are they don't have adults telling them what to do. So mm. when they come here and us them expecting us, you know, to to follow the rules and to know what the rules are, they don't because they're not used to that at home. So why would they be used to that here? And I think kind of meeting them where they're at and just loving them is is just such a huge part of the program.
0: Absolutely. So um, we've got several months of the program left and we are going to continue to do it, obviously, knowing what you've learned and how God's moved in your heart. What would you say to somebody who's like, yeah, that sounds really important, but I don't do kids. There's a lot of you listening, maybe I don't, or I just kind of get freaked out by kids or or whatever. What would you say to somebody that's just kind of on the edge thinking, man, I want to do this, but I'm just not sure. How would you encourage them, I guess, with that?
1: Just do it. It's really fun. I mean, I think you kind of have to just, like I said, let it go, and you just meet them where they're at. And the other thing that's been really awesome is the, the group of volunteers that are there every week. Um, these are people that I have, had seen across church or had you know knew their names, but I didn't know them. And it was an, oppor- you know, serving with WizKids has been an opportunity to mm-hmm. get to know people outside of, you know, the people that I'm already friends with. And, um, you know, we talk about each other's weeks, and so just meeting other people has been a really awesome way to, to make our growing church a little bit smaller.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Lynn, Lynn doesn't uh, know this, but I heard a story about a month or so ago that's kind of about you and, and about WizKids. Um, there was a couple uh, gals that um, their mom, uh, single mom, the dad's out of the picture, that have been coming to WizKids for a while and know they've done the songs with you. And Lynn's kind of our song, song and dance person. And um, one of the staff members of Freedom for Youth was telling me that their mom, well, they all got evicted. From their house. And so for the last three or four weeks, they've been just bouncing around to wherever they can stay, whether that's a friend's house or wherever. And we pick them up every week because we don't know where they're going to be. So normally we go with the bus, but we pick them up. And these couple girls uh, told their mom, and then the mom relayed that to our our staff member. Um, In the midst of all that, They didn't know where they were going to be sleeping at night. They didn't know where they were going to get their next meal. And yet they said, are we still going to be able to go to Hope? And they said, (laughs) because we love singing and dancing with Lynn. And um, I wanted to tell you that, and I wanted all of you to know that, that this is just one tiny little story that, You've made an impact in them, and anybody can do that, whether it's here on Sunday mornings with the 30 or 40 kids we have here every week or the 30 or 40 kids we have on Thursdays. These are two completely different sets of kids that need a lot of love, and you have made more an impact uh, that, than you know. And so uh, from Lynn, from me, we would really encourage you to check out Thursday nights and uh, just thank you for your heart and your courage to do that. So, yeah, thank you. When you know a Jesus who is completely accessible, it will be a no-brainer to serve. It's it's a no-brainer to get out of your comfort zone, even when it's hard or even when it's inconvenient, because God loves us when we're completely unlovable, and that's why we get outside of our comfort zone and do that. Jesus accepts us just as we are, and yet he refuses to leave us that way, which points us to the last characteristic of Jesus that I want to just highlight for us tonight, and it's, it's, yes, he's holy, and yes, he's completely accessible, but at the end of the day, he's also all-consuming. And what do we mean by that? So if we go to our passage for tonight that you heard Bob read from Mark chapter 8, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves And take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. If Jesus is your homeboy, if Jesus is just a good teacher, if Jesus is just sort of a moral guide that you go to once in a while... Man, a scripture like that, you might say, chill out, Jesus. Come on. It's 2016. I got a busy schedule. We, we just had a kid. We're a young family. We've got the kids to, to shuttle around uh, to their events. We, we got a lot of stuff going on. I, I, got, I got a busy social life. I got, I got friends. You know, work has just been brutal recently. Jesus says, I'm not going to beg for your undivided attention." Jesus says, all I know is that when people experience me for who I really am, they, they describe it as an all-consuming fire. There is no half-hearted Christianity. There is no halfway in this. They say, this God is an all-consuming fire that impacts every single area of my life every choice i make every decision i make every relationship that i'm in every time i decide do i need to live this way do i need to live that way should i go along with the crowd or should i go the other way everything i do is impacted by my relationship with jesus christ he's literally all-consuming and if you think about the early church and the early followers of jesus it makes sense what would have made no sense is to see a man predict his own death come back from the dead this same man that changed your life, ruins his own funeral, walks out of the tomb, comes back to life and starts walking beside you on the road, what would have made no sense is to live half-heartedly. To keep living the way that you already have. To not go all in. And I wonder when Jesus says, come follow me but here's the thing, you gotta die not physically, but to yourself, to your flesh. I, I wonder the number one reason that more people don't go all in for Jesus, especially in the church, is because we've taught you to be afraid of dying. Or our, our culture teaches you to be afraid of dying, that we should, and what I mean by that is that we should avoid discomfort, that in the church we should stay away from anything that seems a little bit too risky. If you think about what are the reasons that people don't do things, We're afraid of what's going to happen to us. We're afraid of what we're going to lose. We're afraid of what it's going to cost me, what people are going to think of me. And all of those things are an avoidance of death. Not in a physical sense, but in the death of our flesh that says life should be all about me and life should be about what's most convenient for me. But Jesus says you'll never find life that way. I love what the late missionary Jim Elliott once said. He said this. He is no fool who will lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As followers of Jesus, we have eternity kept in heaven for us. Undeniable, unperishable, unfading, and nothing can take that away. Don't you you remember that tonight. You have nothing to lose. Like, do you believe that? That nothing can separate you from the love of God? And if you live like that's true every day, nothing will be able to stop you. There will be no fear that will get in the way. There'll be nothing able to stop you. And whether it's, I'm going to come to worship every single week. I'm going to get involved in a small group because I was created for community. You know what? I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve the kids of this church. I'm going to serve the kids of this neighborhood. It is a complete no-brainer because I follow a completely holy, completely accessible, all-consuming Jesus and he is so worth my everything. He's worth it. He's an all-consuming fire. And so my challenge to you this week, your take-home for this week, read one of the Gospels. Read one of the Gospels and ask yourself, is this the Jesus that I know? Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you. If all I had were the Gospels and that's what I read, how would my life look? What would it look like to follow this Jesus? Forget Christianity and and, and churchianity and all the clutter that gets in the mind. What would it look like to take Jesus at his word and to live life accordingly? I think it would look radical. And some people would say, I don't know, John, you're a little radical. This church is a little radical. I didn't know there was another way to live. Is there a a different way of following Jesus other than being completely radical in the eyes of the world? I, I sure hope I sure hope that we don't live our lives afraid of dying. Because once you die and you get yourself out of the way, then you're completely free. Then you're completely free.